What's up, everybody? This is Vinny Bucci, a.k.a. The Booch, and welcome to The Booch Cast. This week, ladies and gentlemen, we have something special here on The Booch Cast, something I like to call a new classic pay-per-view review. Now, I know that sounds like an oxymoron for a lot of you out there. You're like, Vinny, it's a, it's a classic. How is it new? That, that doesn't make sense. Vinny, I'm not comprehending what you're, what you're saying. I'm not picking up what you're putting down. Well, let me explain. As you guys know, we've had a lot of classic episodes that have dropped in recent weeks, um, as you guys know. Almost every Monday, almost, there are episodes from the SoundCloud days that I have been editing and remastering and putting them out here on our new podcast platforms, which are, of course, Anchor, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and iHeartRadio. And some of those have been pay-per-view reviews. Others have been um, compilations of season reviews and classic segments. So the reason I'm calling this a new classic pay-per-view review is because what you're listening to right now has nothing to do with the SoundCloud days. This is a fresh classic pay-per-view review that we are currently recording. In fact, at the time that we are sitting here recording this, it is July 25th. At the time you're listening to this, it is August the 7th, at the time that you are listening to this episode. And as you guys know, how these classic pay-per-views work is, usually I am joined by Gator Ricky Ross, and Gator and I analyze classic pay-per-views from WWE, WCW, and ECW. And we look at them from the perspective of not just two people who are fans of professional wrestling, but also from the perspective of two people who work in the business. Gator is, of course, a wrestler, a manager, he's a referee, he's done announcing, he's popped the popcorn, he teaches at a wrestling school. He pretty much has the indie scene covered. I, of course, am a commentator, a ring announcer. I've done some managing. I've done street team shit that I pray to God I never have to fucking do again. I've done concession work. I popped the popcorn. I've uh, chauffeured wrestlers to and from the building. I currently manage Buff Bagwell. I pretty much have the indie scene covered as well. Well, for this particular week, we have a bit of a twist that we're bringing to the show, and it's in the sense that Gator will not be joining me for this classic pay-per-view review because, as you guys know, Gator has had a hectic schedule. As you know, it has caused some difficulties with certain AEW recordings, and some of it we've been able to improve upon, but because of Gator's hectic schedule, he was not able to join us because this pay-per-view review that we're doing right now is one that was requested to us. Now, this was not a fan request. However, if any fans out there would like to request a pay-per-view review, you can DM us on our social media pages. Go to either our Facebook, our Twitter, or our Instagram and send us a DM and let us know which pay-per-view you would like us to review. And if it's one we haven't already done, then we will take the time, do the research, and review it for you. Now, your pay-per-view request can come from anywhere, just so you know. Now, we have a strict policy for us, which is WWE, WCW, ECW, and we have a cutoff point that we do and everything else, which is 2010 is pretty much the cutoff. It might change as the years go by. I don't know. We haven't decided yet. But your pay-per-view requests can come from anywhere, any company, anytime. And we will review them, provided that they're classics. But this request was done by the man who is about to join me right now, here on the Boochcast. Ladies and gentlemen, he's been woken. Yep. He's been broken. Absolutely. And now he's just broke. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome to the Boochcast, the one, the only, the broke soulless ginger, Mr. Zach Scott. What's up, dude and dude? Yes, this is me, the broke soulless ginger, Zach Scott. Genuinely speaking, I'm not that broke yet. So working on that. Hi, we're not doing NXT. I'm doing a classic pay-per-view today, one of my personal fucking favorites because of one match, but we'll get to that later. Go ahead, do your thing there, sir. 
Yes, uh, Zach is here um, because he requested that we do this pay-per-view and he wanted to join in because Zach's birthday is coming up. At the time that we were recording this, his birthday is coming up on Saturday. By the time you're listening to this, he will already be 37 years old and he's putting his head down as he's accepting the fact that he is really pushing 40, ladies and gentlemen. He's giving me the finger, which means being the 40 is number one in his book. So um, he's having a hard time accepting getting old. But we, So we thought we'd cheer him up by having him join us for this pay-per-view review. And of course, we're getting into WrestleMania 25. This was the 25th annual WrestleMania. It was produced by WWE and it held wrestlers from the Raw, SmackDown, and ECW brands because the ECW was a, a third brand of WWE during this time. It took place on April 5th, 2009 at Reliance Stadium in Houston, Texas. It was the second WrestleMania held in Houston. The first was, of course, WrestleMania 17, which will be talked about at a much later date. And also, this is the last WrestleMania to feature the ECW brand. So after this, the ECW brand is pretty much dead and done. So this is the last pay-per-view to have the ECW brand and ECW-style wrestlers on it. There was 72,744 people total in attendance. The buy rate was 960,000. And it was, the tagline was the 25th anniversary of WrestleMania. And of course, here on the show, we have our commentators, which were, of course, Jim Ross, Michael Cole, and Jerry the King Lawler. Perfect trio right here. Agreed. Uh, the Spanish commentators are, of course, Carlos Cabrera and Hugo Savanovich. Question. Yes. Are those always the two who do the Spanish announcing? Yes. They're the permanent Spanish announce team. Okay. The interviewer was, of course, Todd Grisham. He did the backstage interviews. Yeah. The ring announcers were Lillian Garcia from Monday Night Raw and Justin Roberts from SmackDown. I like Justin Roberts. Yes. Obviously. Um, AEW did the right thing electing him. Uh, then, of course, the referees for this were Charles Robinson, Mike Chioda, John Coney, Scott Armstrong. Jack Doan, Marty Elias, Chad Patton, and Aaron Mahoney. It seems they have enough refs. Well, I think that's because they were taking into account in case any referees had to take a bump in the match. You have backup guys to bring in. So I think that's kind of where they're going with that. Yeah. I don't know. Charles Robinson and the Armstrong guy. Those those guys I know. I was like, I want to see those guys. Yes. I've met both those guys. They're great. You met Charles Robinson? Is he a nice guy? Very nice guy. Oh, okay. Uh, we, uh, Is he really that small? He's about my height, yeah. <laughs> uh, but he's cool. Uh, actually, we saw him... Uh, I'm not allowed to say where, but I'll just say he's a really nice guy, and I will respectfully leave it at that. Okay. All right. Let's do this. All right. Now, of course, because this is WrestleMania, this there's a lot of pomp and circumstance that comes with the show. So, obviously, uh, Nicole Scherzinger, I don't know how to pronounce her last name. I just know she's from the Pussycat Dolls. Uh, she sang America the Beautiful. And, of course, uh, Kid Rock was a musical performance here. Uh, he played uh, Ball with the Ball, Rock and Roll Jesus, Cowboy, All Summer Long and so hot. Um, obviously, I'm a Kid Rock fan, so naturally, I enjoyed that. The crowd didn't seem to give a single fuck about this performance. I feel bad for Kid Rock. I'm sorry. I don't. He was really putting on a show, but here's the thing about wrestling fans, especially during this time. They just want to see the wrestling. They don't care about the musical performances, especially you don't hold the musical performance after the Money in the Bank ladder match. Like, wait till there's a dull match and then have the performance. Like, you could have put it in somewhere else, and I'm sure uh, Zach has an idea of where it could go, but we'll mention that a little bit later uh, and I'll and I'll mention why it was after the Money in the Bank ladder match and we had one celebrity in the crowd Carl Edwards from NASCAR was in the crowd uh. 
but that's about it. So now, ladies and gentlemen, we will proceed with the first official match of the evening, the Money in the Bank ladder match. We have CM Punk versus Christian versus Finley with Hornswoggle versus Kane versus Kofi Kingston versus Mark Henry with Tony Atlas versus MVP versus Shelton Benjamin. Uh, it was a spot fest, but to tell you the truth, guys, I miss Money in the Bank at WrestleMania. I think the Money in the Bank should be at WrestleMania. Just saying, but this right here was great, I, but I thought for a second that it would be really hard if uh, Mark Henry and Kane's big ass tried to get up on the ladder. What they tried to do, I thought it was going to break. My favorite part when both of them stared at them and all the skinny guys were trying to crawl up and they just picked up the ladders and, you know, pushed them out of the way. That was a good spot right there. But, um, yeah, I enjoyed this hell. This is when Kofi Kingston came out with the boom, boom, boom. I missed that as well. A lot of these guys aren't wrestling anymore because he went to the other company or just they're retired. Just saying. But this right here was great. Great opening mashup. No. Hype up WrestleMania. So, and in the end, Scene Punk won. And this is the second time in a row of the win this, and the win this. And it says, and I'm proud of said, this was 14, 32 minutes that I actually enjoyed the first time in my life in a really, 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 really long time. But otherwise than this, I love this opening match. It got it hyped up, but not too much. There was bad spots. There was good spots. One of my favorite ones was Shut the Benjamin did his thing. Do you really have to put that up there, you think, Manny? Shut the Benjamin doing his thing top rope outside the ring? Totally. Yeah. And he doesn't get enough respect, but this right here was great. I'm happy that Scene Punk won, but I would have been a lot happier if Shelton Benjamin would have won instead. Just saying. Anyways, Vinny, take it away. So, here's the breakdown that I have here. As you mentioned before, in the begin in the opening stages of the match, Kane and Mark Henry just clear the ring of everyone. I love that because the big men are establishing dominance. Because let's be honest here. This is a Money in the Bank ladder match, and as Zach mentioned, it's a spot fest. So, the, 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 the smaller guys, I'll just say that for lack of a better term, the smaller guys are going to get the spotlight in this match because they're going to do their stunts. They're going to do their shit. Get all their shit in, as we say in the business. So for Kane and Mark Henry to have that early going of, hey, we're the big guys in this match and we're going to wrestle that way is great because they're not going to have a lot of moments. And to be honest, they didn't. There was not a lot of big moments from Kane or Mark Henry in this match. So to let them have that moment to shine was perfect. And of course, Shelton and Christian used the ladder to take out the big man. Kofi jumps over and hits a drop kick and a boom drop. I thought the sequence and psychology of that was brilliant because it was fluid motion and everything was believable because it worked. It, the sequence was fantastic. Kane and Mark Henry both climbed the ladder and here's what I thought was odd. The ladder could hold Mark Henry's weight. Yet, if you remember a few years later when Big Show was in the Money in the Bank, it was the one that John Cena won. You notice when the Big Show was had to climb the ladder, they made a big custom gold one for Big Show to use because the ladder couldn't hold his weight. Now, obviously Big Show is bigger than Mark Henry. But let's be honest here. He's not that fucking big, okay? B okay, it, it just looks that way because Big Show's a lot skinnier because he's a lot taller. But Mark Henry's got a lot of weight and girth on him. I'm surprised that ladder could hold his weight, but Big Show needs a custom ladder. I thought that was ridiculous to me. Now, again, obviously at the time, you're not thinking that. But because I have the perspective now and I've seen the other ladder match, it took me out of this one. I can't watch that the same way. So I thought that was weird. Now, the two ladders are set up. Everyone fights on to get the briefcase and the big men just tip them both over. Brilliant spots. Again, this is how you allow the big men to shine. You give them moments without having them look like spot monkeys. Because that's the problem with modern wrestling is the big guys are out there doing the little guy moves and they shouldn't. If you're a big man, wrestle like a big man. Because if you can do all these fancy tricks, why would I want to see the smaller guy do them? That's why Big Show did one moonsault at a house show. 
Shawn Michaels pulled his ass to the side. Don't you ever do that again? Because you you make my moon salt look bad. Or when Big Show used to do kip ups or nip ups, they they had to shut that down. It's like you're a giant, wrestle like a giant. That's why Big Show moved the way he did in the ring. It's not because he couldn't do those moves, because he wasn't fucking supposed to. And that's the misconception that wrestling fans have, the modern day ones. Just because you can do a move doesn't mean you should, or it even means that you have to. You have to wrestle a certain style so everyone looks different. Otherwise, if you're all exactly the same, why would I want to watch any of you? If you're all the same, then none of you are special. And if you're not special, why should you be pushed? When you can answer that, you've figured out the clue of life. Kane throws one ladder out and climbs the other. I wish more people would do that in multi-man ladder matches. Like, this ladder doesn't work. Get this the fuck out of my way. I, 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 I love that. I, I, I hate seeing multi-man ladder matches where you see 50 fucking ladders in the match. Just have like a couple. You don't need, you don't need 50 fucking ladders. I love that. Just throws it out, goes in there. Finley does a suicide dive. That was fake and it was fucking stupid. That was the fake, one of the fakest spots in the match. Why? Because not only should Finley not be doing suicide dives, Fit Finley has no business doing that shit. Also, the guys are standing out there waiting to catch him. That's why those spots look fake. Because you shouldn't be waiting to catch somebody that's coming at you. That's why you have to do it in a way where you're like, you're outside the ring, you're dizzy, you're collecting yourself, and while the guy is slowly selling up, then you start to bounce off the ropes for the dive. It's called trusting your partner. You had to trust him to sell himself back up, and by the time you dive through the ring, he's back on his feet, he looks up, oh shit, boom, it's too late, you know? It's like the guy who, it's like a guy who gets knocked out on the street, but then he gets up and he's woozy, then he looks over, and by the time he sees the car coming at him, it's too late. He can't get out of the way of the car. You know what I mean? It's like, it's like an Austin Powers, they did that sketch, or that scene, where Austin and Vanessa are in the, the steamroller, and that guy is going, no! But the thing's like miles away. And they're sitting there going, dude, move, get out of the way, get out of the way. But he's just sitting there frozen, no! It's like, dude, you have plenty of time to get the fuck out the way, and then it finally runs him over. It just looks fucking stupid. I mean, it's funny because it's a comedy movie, but this isn't supposed to be a comedy movie. It's supposed to be a fucking wrestling match where you're supposed to try to fucking win, not lose. Now, MVP does his balling senton, but the reason it was smart here was because the camera didn't show if they were waiting to catch him or not. So unless you had a camera phone, which I don't know if they were prevalent in 2009 or not, but unless you had a camera phone and you could catch the shit and post it to social media, they can't tell. So if you're going to do that stupid spot, or if you know that people are too fucking stupid and have to stand there and wait to catch because they can't get over any other way. At least tell your camera people, zoom out, cut to this. Don't show the guy standing on the fucking floor. Be smart. You know, people get Kevin done a lot of shit and he deserves a lot of shit, but at least when it comes to TV production, he knows his shit. It's more than I can say for other companies. CM Punk and Kobe do suicide dives. Those were fake and fucking stupid. Sheldon does a senton off the ladder onto everyone who wait to catch him. It was fake, it was stupid, it was reckless. I love Shelton, but that was goddamn ridiculous. That was unsafe. Yes, unsafe. Hornswoggle brings in a step ladder and does a tadpole splash onto everyone. Okay, I'm gonna ask you an important question here I want everyone to answer. How the fuck does that knock everyone down? Zach, do you know? No. Look, I have nothing but respect for Hornswoggle. I think he's a great worker when he does what he needs to do. He respects the business. He's knowledgeable in the business. He knows what the fuck he's doing. I have all, I have, I have, I take nothing away from Hornswoggle's wrestling ability. However, he's still a midget landing on full grown adults. How is he able to knock every person down? Seriously. Maybe one person? I could maybe see that 
that depending on the momentum. But an entire group of people should not be falling to the ground because a midget landed on them. They should be able to catch him. They should crowd surf him and throw him over the fucking thing. That would be more believable. I'm sorry. That looked dumb as fuck. Kobe with a drop kick on Finley through the ladder and then tips it on to him. That was a great spot. Loved that. That is well done. Then you got Finley using the step ladder to block the splash. Great fucking counter. That's what you do. That is well done. That is now using your head. Finley uses the step ladder as a weapon and climbs the regular ladder, which was brilliant use the step ladder. I'm going to use this as a weapon and then climb the regular ladder to try to get the briefcase. That's smart because the step ladder is easier to swing than a regular fucking ladder. Kofi climbs the ladder while Mark is holding it, but Mark lets go and hits the world's strongest slam onto the ladder. I love this spot right here. This is a great spot. Why? Because it's believable. Because Mark Henry's holding the ladder and he's directly above the belt. So Kofi can just climb that some bitch real quick. Mark Henry needs a minute to process. What the hell is going on? What the hell is going on? Oh, wait. I'm going to drop this shit. Boom. Slam you onto it. Try to outsmart me, motherfucker. That's why that's smart. What's great? Christian is the unpreer on Punk as they fall off the ladder onto the floor. That was another great spot. Shelton runs up the ladder contraption to stop MVP and does a sunset flip onto the floor. He didn't flip him, so that was a botch. Massive botch. Shelton power bombs MVP onto Mark Henry and Tony Atlas. MVP landed on his neck. That was a reckless, unsafe spot. That was fucking dumb. Didn't need to happen. Unnecessary. See, this is the type of shit that people get mad about when they talk about reckless spots in modern wrestling. Why would you do a move like that to cripple somebody just to get an ooh and an ah from fans who are going to forget this shit in a week? Because that's the thing about wrestling fans. They have short attention spans nowadays. They'll see one cool spot. It'll be on the internet for about a week and then they move on to the next show in the next spot. It will be forgotten about. But you know what's not going to be forgotten about? What? You being a fucking neck brace in a wheelchair for the rest of your goddamn life. So very true. So stop doing stupid shit. Christian and Shelton fight on top of the ladder and it fell over with Shelton hitting the ground and Christian putting his foot on the rope to balance himself. Love that shit. That That's great. That's a great way to counter things. Then eventually Punk kicks Kane off the ladder, grabs the briefcase, gets the win. So second year in a row. Yes, he won second year in a row with money in the bank. I think he, I can't remember where, when he cashed it in, but I think I remember he, he cashed it in on exhausted Jeff Hardy to win the world title. So he hit a couple GTSs and won the world title. So he eventually cashed it in when Jeff Hardy would win the title later that year. And on that note, we move on to the next match of the evening. If, if we, we even want to call it that. The Miss WrestleMania Battle Royal. With Mae Young as the special guest timekeeper, we have Alicia Fox versus Brie Bella versus Eve Torres versus Gail Kim versus Jackie Gaeta versus Jillian Hall versus Joy Giovanni versus Katie Lee Burchill versus Kelly Kelly versus Layla versus Maria versus Maurice versus Melina versus Michelle McCool versus Mickey James versus Molly Holly versus Natalia versus Nikki Bella versus Rosa Mendez versus Sonny versus Tiffany versus Tori Wilson versus Victoria versus Beth Phoenix versus Santina Morella. No. Fuck my life. <laughs> All right, I'm going to make this short. There was too much going on. I didn't know what was going on. Half these women I don't remember. Half these women I didn't even know. I knew a couple of them, but just me? Meh. Meh? Meh. Yeah. So, no, maybe this was a top of matches just to get the crowd, you know, calmed down from the money in the bank match at the first opening. But, no, I did not enjoy this at all. But the strangest reason Santina once, we already fucking know, is Santana Marilla. What have you say the fucking name. So Vinny, take this one away because this, just no, this is bullshit. It's Santino. Santana's a musician. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Oops. Well, no. Well, the ladies come out to the ring while... Now, keep in mind, I said Kid Rock was doing a concert at this time. So, this is the... At, towards the end of it, he sang the song, So Hot. You know, you're so hot. I want to get you alone. 
stoned so hot. I want to get you stoned so hot. I don't want to be your friend. I want to fuck you like I'm never going to see you again. So he's playing this song, and this is when the girls are walking to the ring. Keep in mind, none of them played, they didn't play any of their entrance themes. They're just walking to the ring while Kid Rock is singing. Now, some of the girls, mostly the sexy ones, stay and dance with Kid Rock. Because there were some women that had sexual style gimmicks, and there were some women that were simply wrestlers and didn't have tits and ass to show or didn't want to show their tits and ass for whatever reason. So the sexier ones are dancing with Kid Rock. The rest of them are just walking to the ring because no one gives a shit. And the rule was, if you get thrown out or leave the ring in any way, you're eliminated. Okay, this is a recipe for disaster right here. Because it used to be in Bell's Battle Royals, you got thrown over the top rope. Both feet touched the floor. If you say eliminate in any way, that means you're trying to get this out of the way. That's what you're trying to do. You're trying to get through this as fast as possible. Now, the women start fighting while the ring announcer is talking. This is fucking dumb, okay? I don't care what's going on in the ring. If the ring announcer is talking, you do not fucking move. You're burying the ring announcer who's trying to explain this shit to us. Because the ring announcer needs to have the spotlight whenever he or she is talking. And I'm not just saying that because I'm a ring announcer. I'm saying it because it's the fucking truth. You know why? Because the ring announcer's job is to interpret shit for the audience at the beginning. Like, this is a battle royal. Here are the rules. Here are the stipulations. You know, it's like, even if you're doing something like it says, the following contest scheduled for one fall is a steel cage match. The only way to win is by pinfall, submission, or escaping the cage, either over the top or through the door. That right there is teaching the audience the objective of the match. So that way, when we see someone go for the cover, the match could end here. Someone's locked the submission hold. Oh shit, the match could end here. Someone's climbing the cage. Oh shit, the match could end here. Someone's about to crawl or walk through the door. Oh shit, the match could end here. That builds the anticipation and the excitement. And even though at most of us know the rules of certain matches, they still have to teach and remind the audience. So if the ring announcer's speaking, the wrestlers should not be doing shit until they ring the freaking bell. So by doing this, you're burying the ring announcer, which means the audience can't follow shit. And when you know who won the pony, what happened when the bell rang? Zach, do you remember when they rang the bell? Uh, no, I do not. Please enlighten me, sir. No one could follow shit. No one could follow shit. You can't tell who's getting eliminated. You can't see shit in this match. And the commentators never acknowledge it, and the camera angle rarely show it. This match was executed improperly, the commentators commentated improperly, and the cameraman shot it improperly. Everyone fucked up in this match. From the talent, to the commentators, to the cameraman. The ring announcer was the only one that didn't fuck up. That's how sad this match was. The ring announcer was the only one that did her goddamn job. Everyone else failed at their job. You all failed. I know some announcers would justify by saying, well, it was hard to keep up. Well, you're, it's still your job. So this they fucked up, which in turn you fucked up, which in turn other people fucked up. So I'm not saying it's 100% the commentator's fault, but you still have to take a third of the blame because you couldn't keep up with this. No one and could. And with the three people commentating, they should have enough experience to be able to work around shit like this. Now, if it was newer people, I'd give them a free pass. But JR, Michael Cole, Jerry Lawler, they've been doing this long enough. Y'all should have known by now how to keep up with shit like this. The match is a clusterfuck. Santina just stands there and does nothing. Why have him, her in the match if he, she, won't get physical. This is another thing that pisses me off. 
Again, I say this all the time. If you're going to be one of those companies that doesn't want the guys to touch the girls for whatever reason, then don't have guys and girls mix it up in the ring. Because if you think by doing this where the guy can't touch the girl, but the girls can beat up the guys or drop kick the guys or whatever, if you think you're showing chivalry, you're not. You're making your male wrestlers look like pussies. You are emasculating your male talent. And that is a problem in not just modern wrestling, but in the modern generation in general. Men are becoming neutered and pussified. And it's pathetic. I fucking hate seeing it. Santino's just fucking standing there. You're wondering who the fuck is there. Everybody's throwing each other over the top rope. And they're just fucking, she's just fucking like, oh, putting her hands up, standing in one corner, moving to another corner. It's like, you're not even trying in this match. And then Gail Kim botches a hurricanrana and gets eliminated with Jillian. I can't tell if that botch was intentional or not. Like, was she going for a move and did accident? Or if that was an actual botch because she fucked up? Because Gail Kim's been known to roll, eliminate herself from Battle Royals. She did that on her last day. She just eliminated herself because she knew she wasn't involved in the finish. And she was leaving the company anyway because she was fed up with WWE and all this shit. So she was ready to fucking leave anyway. So Beth Phoenix eliminates 90% of the women in this match, including the Bella Twins. So they get thrown out. Mickey James and Michelle McCool have an awkward moment on the ropes before spilling onto the floor. This is some kind of HLA kind of thing, like a hot lesbian action shit. It was fucking weird. Melina and Beth exchange blows before Melina goes for the glam slam on Beth. But Santina throws them both over the top rope. Stupid finish. This was a stupid finish. I think this was meant to be funny with Santina winning the Miss Battle Royal. I'm Santina Marella. I'm Santino's sister. But you know what it ended up being? A fucking embarrassment to the women's division. Just imagine if Gator was here right now, how bad he would tear into this. It shit upon my business. This shit upon my whole business. Why in the hell are you having a stupid auto royal on the grandest stage of them all? Let, um, I'm a fucking strike. I'm, that's not up to me to say anything. I think that's up to Vindicator. See, this is why I did not agree to do this show. And I'm a fucking strike. I don't think you're allowed to, dude. Uh, he, he's allowed to go on strike for this one. Okay. I'm fucking leaving the building. You I am the gator and I'll see you later. This is the gator and I'll see you later. See you later, alligator. Alright. Okay. That was, th this was fucking terrible. That was horrible. Seven minutes and 25 seconds. Of our lives that we can't get back. Yes, and I'm sorry, gator. I'm letting Zach take it on this one. I can't fucking, for the life of me, Jesus Christ. See, this is the prime example of like people were saying give divas a chance or having a women's revolution or the women not being treated well. That's how fucking pathetic this was. Never mind the fact that it's a women's battle royal and we've seen a fuck ton of these. They couldn't even execute it properly. None at all. It was a get in, get out situation. This is what we call a filler. It wasn't even filler. It was horrible. It was sad. Was this bad? No, it was sad. Horrible. Disgrace to fucking wrestling. This is the type of shit that turns people off with wrestling and piss you know. Piss break, smoke break. It's like something to eat. Yeah, oh, it's a piss break. Piss break. I wouldn't even say smoke break unless you're one of those people that can smoke a cigarette in seven minutes and get it completely down to the root. The root. If you can, God bless you. You couldn't take a shit during this match, though. No way. Nope. And the Santina thing barely lasted, and it hurt everybody involved. This was embarrassing. And on that note, we're going to move on to the next match of the evening. We have ourselves a handicap elimination match with Jimmy Snuka, Ricky Steamboat, and Roddy Piper with Ric Flair in their corner versus Y2J, Chris Jericho. I don't know what to think of this, but, I mean, the buildup was good, but, the, I mean, Ricky Steamboat was the only person still in shape to do this. The only one person wasn't allowed to bless his heart with Jimmy Snuka. Roddy Piper did a lot of stuff, but what should have happened, Virgil was Chris Jericho against Mickey Ward. See, if Mickey Ward couldn't have done it, it should 
should have been Chris Jericho against Ric Flair. This right here was like, okay, should have been three on one, but Chris Jericho took an ask and he sold very well. Then he took out Snooker, took out Roddy, then he took out Ricky, then Ric Flair, they, they did his thing. It was just, all right, this was way better than the last match. I promise you that. But right there here, I enjoyed it highly. I was like, yeah. I mean, Ricky, the diva team belt, no. Jamie the Snooker, aka Murder Heart. And Roddy Piper, somewhat of a racist prick, and Ric Flair likes to show his ass to swing stick around like a fucking helicopter on a private plane when he had too much whiskey. But otherwise than that, okay. Benny, take it away. Well, here's the thing. Originally, this was supposed to be Chris Jericho versus Mickey Rourke. But the problem is, Mickey broke the news too soon. Because he said in an interview before they were even planning the build-up, and his team pulled him out of the match. By team, I mean Mickey Rourke's like handlers, his team and everything. They pulled him out of the match because they were fear it would hurt his chances to win the Oscar. And which to me is fucking stupid. And I'm going to tell you why. Because even though wrestling is entertainment and acting is entertainment, wrestling still gets looked down upon by society for being entertainment. Even though, like, that's why I like when people say things you like, and I'm going to use the word here. Maybe people go, you know, this is all fake, right? Keep in mind, these are the same motherfuckers that watch like Game of Thrones or The Walking Dead. And when a character gets killed off, they're in fucking tears. You cry when TV characters die. You cry when people in movies die. And that doesn't make you look like a fucking idiot. But yet someone getting injured on a wrestling show, that's where you draw the line of stuff being quote unquote fake. First of all, you don't use fake to describe wrestling, but I have to use it here to illustrate my point that people who shit on wrestling are stupid because they were worried it would hurt his chance to win the Oscar. Even though Mickey Rourke was being nominated for a movie called The Wrestler. The Wrestler. Which is, by the way, a very good movie. It's a great movie. Mickey Rourke should have won the fucking Oscar for that. Even if you don't like professional wrestling, you love that movie because it spoke to the common people because a lot of that shit that, that uh, Mickey Rourke's character, Randy the Ram, went through is true shit that happens to wrestlers. One minute they're on top of the world. Next thing you know, they're back on the indie scene and they're, you know, some of them, you know, didn't do well with their money. So they're having to work day jobs and stuff. Like Randy, on the weekdays, he worked in a deli market because he wrestled on the weekends so that he would go pick up shit. He says, I want weekdays. I'm busy on the weekends because he would wrestle on the weekends and work a day job, which a lot of guys on the indies do. They they work a day job and then on the weekends, they go wrestle, you know, and like Kevin, Kevin Owens did that when he was on the indies. He used to work at, he worked at a convenience store for a period of time. He also worked in a warehouse before he finally made enough money and wrestling to where he didn't have to do that shit anymore. So you do what you gotta do to pay your bills. And so despite all that, it was great. But instead, who do they give it to? Sean Penn for fucking Harvey Milk. Because you know the rules of the Academy Awards. You play a character that's gay or retarded, the Oscar automatically goes to you. That's just, that's like, that's like the rule in fucking Hollywood now. Because those are the only inspiring characters. Fuck you. So instead, they had to change it around to where Jericho, they brought up the wrestler and basically talked about old timers not letting go of the spotlight and everything and Roddy Piper saying, I old school's cool and everything else. So that's what built up to this match. Now, Roddy Piper starts things off as he tackles Jericho and swings on him before sending him over the top rope while getting his hand caught in the ropes. Now, that was a great spot. Right off the bat, Roddy Piper's trying to fight Jericho because again, Jericho's been talking shit and bullying the legend. So naturally, Piper's going to want to beat his ass right off the bat. But I don't know if that was a botch or not with his hand getting caught in the ropes. I think he might have botched that. I think Piper got a little too, I'll use another term here, a little too squirrely. I think Piper got a little too squirrely and messed up there. Jericho gets him back in the ring, but Piper gets a sunset flip for a two count. He then hits a drop kick. Piper showing he still got it. That's what I loved about that moment. He was able to show, I'm still I, I'm still the hot rod. I can still go in this ring, you know? I might not be able to work a full-time schedule, but if you need me for a one-off, I can do shit. So Piper's showing his skills right here, and the crowd is getting into it. And then, eventually, uh... 
Snuka gets tagged in. He chops him, tags in Steamboat, who comes out the top rope and series of arm drives and an arm lock. He then twists and works the arm. Like I said before on Twitter, you motherfuckers, about that's what you do. That you you if you're gonna hold somebody's arm, twist it to get wrist control. It's called working the arm, wrenching the arm. Instead of just holding his fucking hand and climbing up the top rope and flipping around like a fucking moron commander, you fucking asshole. These fucking stupid ass fans are like, they're like, this move is so great. It's fake as fuck, you morons. So Steamboat tags in Snooka and they hit double chops. Uh, Snooka hits a headbutt on Jericho, but Jericho locks on the wall to Jericho and Snooka taps out, which was smart. Snooka should have been the first one eliminated because he's the least mobile of the three. Because obviously Ricky, Ricky can move as we find out later. Piper is showing he can still decently go, but Jimmy Snooka, and I have nothing against Jimmy Snooka. I have all the respect in the world for him. I wish I could pull my inner, I wish I had my interview that I did with him when I was on the regular guys. I love Jimmy Snooka, but let's be honest, he was very stiff in that ring. And by, and I don't mean stiff as in his punches or chops. I meant stiff as in like stiff as a fucking board. That man could barely move. He definitely needed to be worked around, but luckily Jericho is such a great professional that he can work around someone's limitations. And that's what makes you a great worker. If you're in the ring with somebody who can't really do much, but you can still find a way to make them look good, that's what makes you a great worker. Not how many moves you know, but how adaptable you can be in a ring. And Jericho has always been adaptable. That's one positive we can say about Chris Jericho, even today, is he knows how to work around people. He knows how to get the best with the least, or the most with the least, I should say. So that was very well done. Get Snooka out of there, he, and they, they gave him his moment. He got a couple headbutts, a couple chops, let him get his shine, shine him up, and then get him out of there. And then, at one point, uh, Piper dots the eyes and locks in a sleeper hold, because Piper comes in after Snooka gets eliminated, and then runs into the ropes and sends Piper throat first into the ropes, and Jericho gets an insiguri for the pin. So, I thought that was a good spot. I did have one complaint. I didn't like the insiguri. I felt like Jericho should have hit the lion's salt instead. I would have preferred to see that, because he just eliminated one guy with the walls of Jericho, and you've got three moves at this point. Well, three finishers, I should say. So, it would have been great if he did the walls of Jericho with Snooka, hit the lion's salt on Piper, and the code breaker to Steamboat. You have three finishing moves. Use all three of them. That way, they each get their moment in the spotlight. It's smarter booking. So, I would have preferred a lion's salt there. So, that's my complaint with that. So, now, Piper's gone. It's down down to Jericho and Steamboat. He gets in the ring, trades chops with Jericho. Steamboat moves like he's in his 20s. Now, I've, and then Jericho throws Steamboat over the top rope, but he skinned the cat and then sends Jericho out of the ring and hits a plancha. Steamboat hits an axe handle and a series of chops, similar to the ones he used on Scotty Beach the night I found out he was a prick. So, that's why, you know, Zach was saying the diva Steamboat, because I've been known to call Steamboat the diva, because I met him in person. He's a fucking diva. But, if I take that out of the equation, Steamboat did very well here. Because, let me tell you something. Everyone was impressed with Steamboat. That's why he got to work some more dates after that. And I even said this. I would have loved to see Steamboat have a run with the championship. Steamboat never got a chance to hold the WWE title. He'd been the world champion in WCW, but he was never the WWE champion. And with and, and seeing as how he could still go, and he's that much of a legend, I think he could have had a good run with that belt. It didn't have to be a long one. Maybe a couple months. Two or three. But I felt like Steamboat could have won it. And of course, Scotty Beach is a guy, if you ever see him on the indies, you want to check him out. He's one of the members of the Good Brothers Dojo. And if you ever watch the Memorial Mayhem uh, UCW um, show on Fight TV, the first one with Ricky Steamboat on the cover with a few others, there, you'll see the scene with uh, Ricky Steamboat and Buff Bagwell are both in the ring with Scotty Beach. And, you know, you could tell Ricky Steamboat is half-assing his chops. But Scotty Beach does so well bumping and selling that he makes Steamboat look like a million dollars, even though he looked like one dollar in reality. So that's why I, I enjoyed that moment. So Jericho goes for the walls of Jericho, but Steamboat gets the inside cradle for a two count. I wish that had been the finish. I wish that had been the finish. I think it should have been, personally. I would have liked the finish of that match. That would have been great for me. And then, of course, uh, Jericho hits a back body drop and then a code 
code breaker. Jericho then kicks Flair out of the ring and calls out Mickey Rourke because Jericho hits a code breaker for the win. So he already hit a code breaker on Steamboat. Like I said, hit the lion salt on Piper. Show all three of your moves. That would have been better. So after that, Ric Flair tries to get in the ring because he's so pissed. He chops Jericho multiple times. Jericho eventually hits a back body drop and then a code breaker and kicks Flair out of the ring. He then grabs the microphone and says, I am the best in the world at what I do. And I did what I said I would do. I erased and eliminated the legend Hall of Fame washouts forever. And now there's one more piece of business to the man who started all of this. I'm talking to you, Mickey Rourke. This started when you challenged me, then you backed down. You play a tough guy in the movies. I'm a tough guy in real life. So I'm telling you right now, you can't back down tonight. I want you to come down to the ring and apologize to me for what you said right now. What are you, Rourke? A liar and a hypocrite? Just like every other person in this arena? Get in this ring right now or I will jump this rail and slap you in your face. Do you hear me? What are you, a coward? I'm talking to you, Rourke. Are you a coward? Get in this ring right now. Right now. Come on, Rourke. Mickey finally agrees to get in the ring. Mickey does a boxing shuffle as he has experienced boxing. Mickey works on his fair share of boxing. He's also done celebrity boxing and a few others, so he's got a bit of that background. Jericho stares him down, then puts up his dukes before quickly backing away from Mickey's jabs. So Jericho's trying to box with Mickey Rourke. Jericho dodges his body shots, but then Jericho goes for a solid shot, and Mickey hits two body shots and a left hook to knock Jericho down. Flair comes in the ring and raises his hand. So Mickey Rourke standing in the ring triumphant. Jericho rolls out of the ring and walks to the back. And everything was going good up until the point where he walks to the back. If you notice, Jericho is holding his neck instead of his jaw. Sell the right body part, motherfucker. Like, why are you? You just got a left hook to your jaw. Why are you holding your neck? I don't care if you hurt your neck in the match. Fucking sell your jaw. Sell the jaw. You're burying Mickey Rourke in that moment. That's exactly what Jericho did, whether he meant to or not. If someone hits you in the jaw, you rub your jaw. You hold your jaw. You ex- you're like, ow, this hurts. Worry about your neck when you get to the fucking back. So that pissed me off. You're burying Mickey Rourke by not selling the right, correct body part. So overall, this match was eight. Eight minutes and 33 seconds. Uh, by the way, the Money in the Bank ladder match was 14 minutes and 32 seconds. I forgot to mention that. But on that note, we're going to move on to the next match of the evening. We got ourselves an Extreme Rules match. Matt Hardy, one-on-one against Jeff Hardy. I enjoyed it. I did. I was like, it's a Hardy boys. You know they're going to do good in an Extreme Rules match. And this build up, Matt Hardy betrayed Jeff Hardy. Constant championship match at uh, Royal Rumble. Remember has it that he burned down Jeff Hardy's house with his dog in it? Psycho. But other than this, this match was good right here. It was brother versus brother. Kind of had a feel for Owen and Brett to a certain extent, maybe. Okay. But otherwise than that, man, tables, chairs, kendo sticks. Was he even a fire extinguisher? I think so. Yeah, I mean, old school right there. And people say, but this was Spot Fest. So it was Spot Fest done right because it's, come on, I was Matt Jeff. But what I did like was when uh, Jeff fucked up when he tried to do a big move off the uh, ladder, missed it. Uh, Matt Hardy got him, got his neck into it with a steel chair, hit the twist of fate. One, two, three. Matt Hardy wins and rightfully so right here. But this match was actually good. Eh, to a certain degree and it was 13 minutes and 38 seconds of my life I actually did enjoy and did enjoy in recent, in, in, during that time. Alright, Vinny. Take it away. Okay, well obviously, like they said, Jeff was in a situation where he refused to fight Matt. So in a way, that's kind of the similarity between the Brett and Owen kind of thing. Other than that, it's not much of a difference because it was an extreme rules match and Matt and Jeff used a lot of weapons. And plus, Brett and Matt were both, no, Brett and Owen were 
were both great wrestling technicians. Matt's a great wrestling technician. Jeff is not. Never has been. Never going to be, apparently. But he refused to fight him until Matt indirectly revealed that he set fire to his house and killed his dog, Jack. Now, look, I understand that they're trying to get Jeff to fight Matt, but here's why I think a storyline like this is fucking dumb. I'm going to tell you why. I don't like the build-up to this match. Because I don't care if they are brothers. If you burn down your brother's house and the burning down of the house results in the killing of his dog, how the fuck do you get them back together? What brother is going to forgive their brother for killing their dog? I mean, it's one thing. Okay, when brothers have feuds and stuff, you can get them back together because you can use the classic thing, well, brothers fight. Brothers have egos. But if you kill a member of your brother's family, there's no forgiveness there. I'm sorry. I don't, that, that's what doesn't make sense. Like, that's why the killing of the dog was stupid. Okay, fuck, you set fire to his house. That's fucked up enough. Maybe you could forgive somebody for that because property is property. Stuff like that can be replaced. But you kill someone's dog and you think that you can get back together. I'm going to tell you right now. If I had a dog and my brother killed my dog, that's it. That, that would be it. Or if I had a child and my brother killed my child, I don't have a brother anymore. And I, might, and I say that knowing that my brother would do the same thing if I did the other way around. There are certain things you can forgive your brother for. Killing a dog ain't one of them. So that's a stupid buildup right there. Now granted, so much time has gone by, most people probably don't remember this, so it kind of works now with the Hardy Boys, but still, that was a stupid reason to make this fight happen. To make Matt Hardy the guy who killed his dog. Unless, Matt was kidding around, they found out somebody else set fire to the house, and Matt was just trying to get a rise out of Jeff. Okay, you could write that in there. But they never did that. They just made you assume Matt was behind all this. So that buildup was retarded. Now, now we get into the match. Jeff does poetry in motion using the steel steps. I thought that was a great symbolism spot. Because for those of you who remember, poetry in motion was one of their tag team moves. Matt would get down on all fours. Jeff would jump up his back, do like a slam into the ropes with his legs. And that was called poetry in motion. So Jeff doing it with the step ladder is showing, hey, Matt, I don't need you. That's a good symbolism spot. Matt used a chair on Jeff to counter whisper in the wind. I fucking love that yeah, spot. Yeah, yeah. You just try to do whisper in the wind. He just goes up and just goes whack. Thank you. Someone does again, someone doesn't just fucking stand there and wait for the whisper in the wind. Like, fuck you. Bam. That's the type of shit you use. Now, Matt grabs a dry back and hits Jeff in the head with it. Why the fuck is this in the match? Why is there a dry back? Why do I need to see a vacuum cleaner and a fucking... What does the vacuum cleaner doing in this match? What purpose does a vacuum cleaner serve in this match? None. You have plenty of weapons underneath the goddamn ring. And it's an extreme rules match, so you can use multiple weapons. Because the only other weapons-related match that we've had thus far has been the ladder match. So we've already seen ladders. There's no other match on this card that has no DQ connotations attached to it. So you don't need a vacuum cleaner to be different. Just use all the weapons you can. You don't need that. Now Matt eventually goes and gets a table. And the reason I'm okay with this is because the crowd was not chanting, we want tables. Because this is the rule. And this is the pet peeve that I have. If the crowd is chanting, we want tables. We want tables. If you're doing that, then under no circumstances should the heel be touching the tables. Because the baby face is supposed to give the crowd what they want. The heel is supposed to prevent the crowd from getting what they want. Like if, they, like if the baby face goes to get a table, the heel should cut him off before he sets the table up. Or if a baby face puts a table in the ring, the heel should put the table out of the ring. Because you should not give the crowd what they want if you're a heel. Now, since there were no we want tables chance here, the heel, in this case was Matt Hardy, was well within his rights to pull out the table. He was 
well within his rights to do that. Now, Jeff does a flying clothesline off the apron. This almost looked believable. Almost. So it was it was a uh, it was muddying the water between believable and phony. It was it was right on the border. Right on the border. So it's hard for me to really call whether or not that spot was stupid or not. It was muddying the waters there. Then Jeff goes for a swan time, but Matt rolls out of the way. Well scouted. Thought that was very well done. Matt hits a twist of fate for a two count. Good false finish. Now that is a well done false finish right there. Jeff whacks him with the chair and then sets him up on the table. He puts the chair on his chest and then goes under the ring for another table. Why? Just put him through the one he's already on. What the fuck do we need another table for? This is the type of shit that pisses me off about modern wrestling in general. You're putting a hat on a hat. If he's already on the table, if he's already got a chair on top of his body, why the fuck do I need another table? Do you need another table? Does anybody need to see another table? No. No! This is fucking retarded. It takes up too much time and it gives Matt plenty of time to move out of the fucking way. He climbs up. It's a splash to the table. It was unnecessary. This spot did not need to fucking happen. This is just another example of Jeff needing high spots to get over because without the high spots, he's a fucking garbage wrestler. He does not have in-ring technical ability. He has to do this shit to get over because he can't get over any fucking way. There's only two ways that Jeff Hardy can get over in wrestling. High spots in the ring and DUIs outside the ring. Motherfucker. Jeff then throws him in the ring, goes for the cover, but Matt gets his foot on the ropes. Why is there a rope break in an Extreme Rules match? Someone want to tell me that? Anything goes! That's an Extreme Rules match! There's no rope break in an Extreme Rules match. There shouldn't be! No. They each other with weapons, they are jumping off of shit, they're flying under through tables, but the rope stops the pin? That's stupid! There's no rope breaks in an Extreme Rules match! Jeff pulls out ladders from under the ring. Now, as you guys know, I have a major pet peeve seeing ladders in matches where there's nothing hanging above the ring. But, they're the Hardys, so this is acceptable. Matt and Jeff are known for ladder matches and ladder spots. So, in, when any match involving Matt or Jeff Hardy, I'll allow it. I, 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 I'm okay with the ladders here. I give them a pass. Other than that, you better fucking have something hanging above the ring if you grab a fucking ladder. But the Hardys, they're allowed to fuck with ladders because they were ladder match innovators. Granted, Shawn Michaels and Razor Ramon had the first official ladder match, but the Hardys elevated it to another level. They're the guys who are known for the ladders. It's it fits their fucking gimmick, so I allow them to use the ladders. I'm okay with it. Matt traps Jeff's head inside the chair and hits a twist of fate for the win. Great finish. Would have been better if it was off the ladder, but the chair works too. Yeah. I would have I would have rather seen a twist. Now by that I mean I would rather see him do a twist of fate off the ladder instead of just with his chair in between. But it works. Matt Hardy got the win, which is right because the proper Hardy won because Matt should be getting a push. Now, granted, I'm living in an era right now. I'm in an era where both of them can suck a dick, but uh, at the time, Matt Hardy I felt was the better Hardy and deserved a better push than Jeff. And the fact that Jeff got pushed to the moon and Matt didn't is one of the biggest travesties in all of wrestling. So that being said, I was happy to see Matt Hardy get the win at WrestleMania. I felt he deserved it. And on that note, we're going to move on to our next match of the evening. If we even want to call it that. For the WWE Intercontinental Championship. JBL defends the title against Rey Mysterio. Squash. 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 <laughs> 21 seconds. Uh, guys, I really can't say anything, but JBL came out there and talked shit. I'm from Texas, but screw Texas. I'm from the greatest city in the world, New York City. It's like, dude, I'm surprised you didn't get chased out with, with pitchforks and blow torches. Anyways, Rey Mysterio hit the 619 and 123 and Intercontinental Champion, Rey Mysterio in 21 seconds. Yay. <laughs> I really have nothing to say. Do you? I have plenty. Which is what? Alright, well, basically JBL comes out and he says, thank you, Texas. This is the greatest day in JBL's great life. Months ago, I had a WrestleMania vision that just as Julius 
Caesar return to Rome, the conquering hero. I would return to Texas champion. At a time when, quite, quite frankly, Texas, you've got no champions. Texas, you got no men. You sit around, you drink your little lattes, you do your Pilates, looking through the Houston Chronicle, trying to find a job. At this point in life, you need hope. And along comes your hero, JBL. Tonight, I'm going to give you the treat of someone who grew up in Sweetwater, Texas, John Layfield, and became the great JBL. You yourself may never improve your lot in life, but at least you can look at me and be proud of the fact that I'm your hero. Because today, I will give you the most dominant victory in WrestleMania history. I will then hop back on my charter plane and return to the greatest city in the world, to my famous wife, New York City, as still your hero. Stellar heel fucking promo right here. You can't get a better heel promo than that. Takes down the fucking city, makes fun of everyone, and here's the best part. He delivered on his promise. This was one of the most dominant victories in WrestleMania history. It would be reversed on him. Yeah. Ray comes out with a mask looking like the Heath Ledger version of the Joker because right around about a year ago was when the Dark Knight came out with Heath Ledger as the Joker, as we all know. Mm-hmm. Lillian botched the intro by forgetting JBL's weight. He mentioned his name, but he also said you have to say weighing in at. Yeah. That's yeah. a thing that, that's another thing about ring announcing that people need to know. And that, and I've learned, and I do this on the indies all the time. If I'm ring announcing and I, and I don't know a lot of people, I either try to find the wrestler online or I set it up to where I go to the building that day and I try to figure it out. I ask every wrestler, where are you from? How much you weigh? And if there's any nicknames or anything I need to mention specifically in your intro before you come out to the ring. You need to, that's what you need to mention because that's how fighters are, you know? Like in boxing and MMA, they do the same thing. He goes, fighting out of this corner from New York City, New York, weighing in at 285 pounds, you know, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. All right. And in this corner from Atlanta, Georgia, weighing in at 272 pounds, the fighting Irish Italian stallion, you know, that kind of thing. Now, if I was going to fight, that would be my name, the Irish Italian stallion. I would do that if I was going to fight. That would be my lot. That'd be my thing. You know, you got to have the, you got to, you got to hype it up. You need the weight, you know, and they, and she forgot the weight. So JBL hits a big boot while the ref is trying to maintain order. The ref holds him back as Ray tries to recover in the corner. The bell rings and Ray hits an insiguri and then a drop kick into the ropes. 619 splash on the top ropes to win. Shocked everybody was epic. Ray grabs the intercontinental title. He's celebrating up the ramp. He's having a blast. The crowd is sitting there going, what the fuck? I mean, it was, it was, it was a shocker and it was, it, it was the most dominant victory in WrestleMania history for three years until the 18 second win with Sheamus. But what's crazy about this is no one saw it coming. It was very well done and it elevated Rey Mysterio to a whole new level. And it was a squash match done right. It was done the right way. It gave the shock value that it needed and it helped because JBL hit that big boot to try to side, side you know, blindside Rey Mysterio. So it was very well done because you're wondering, is Rey going to be able to recover from this? Is Rey going to be able to get up? He's like, you want to continue? Yes, I want to continue because every baby face is going to say that. Every baby face, whether they're injured or not, is going to give up, is going to keep up the fight. I want to say because a baby face doesn't give up easy. You have to really torture a baby face to get him to quit or give up or tap out because a baby face has to have that fighting spirit of never give up. This is how you book an underdog properly. That's why Rey Mysterio is considered the greatest underdog in all of wrestling because he was believable in everything that he did and everything was structured properly and he did everything in such a way to where you believed almost everything he did. That's what a lot of the younger guys today are missing that try to do their underdog stories. So JBL's in shock. He grabs the mic and he goes, I got something to say and the crowd boo is booing maliciously. He looks around and he screams, I quit! And then JBL almost is looking at his face like, what did 
I just say? A and he realized what he just said, but he realized he can't go back on what he just said or he looks stupid. So he just leaves the ring and yells, You are all going to miss me. You are all going to miss JBL. And he walks off. Now, apparently, JBL, for whatever reason, I think was taking some time off or something. I don't know what was going on, but this is a way to write JBL off of TV. And all I got to say about that is I was so fucking happy to see him go. I was, I was so fed up with JBL by this point. I couldn't fucking stand him. His WWE title reign was fucking boring as shit. I couldn't stand JBL during this time. Like, I can look back now with a analyst perspective and say he had great moments as a heel, but in general, he was just fucking annoying, and I was happy to see him go. So it was, it was great, because by this point, JBL had been dominating the roster and driving everyone batshit motherfucking crazy by this point. So I was happy to see JBL finally go. Uh, Rey Mysterio obviously would have a great run with the Intercontinental title, and like I said, everything aligned and everything was done properly. That it was, sir. And on that note, we move on to the next match of the evening. This is the part of the show, ladies and gentlemen, where the ginger is about to cream in his pants. He's been fine all this time, but now his pants are about to be choked with cum. As we move on to the next match of the evening, we have The Undertaker goes one-on-one -on -one against Shawn Michaels. My favorite match of all fucking time, and Vinny knows how much I talk about this match, right there, Vinny? He never shuts the fuck I up mean, about it. Come on, think about it. The psychology in it, the build-up to it, two of the greatest people who started probably around the same time as same time at the exact same time. I mean, you saw what happened at the Royal Rumble. That's where it started in 2007 Royal Rumble where Undertaker Unlimited Shawn Michaels. Maybe that's where it started from. But this right here was great. I mean, how many super kicks did he take? Three or two? I think it was three. Yeah, I mean, and, and yeah, I mean, kick out after like uh, like um, Jim Ross says, two stones, choke slams, super kicks, and a kick out, and a kick out, and a kick out. I'm, I'm not saying this is the greatest match of all time. Fuck no. This is not the greatest WrestleMania up there, but it is a top three, though. I don't give a fuck what anybody says. Cough, Gator, Ricky Ross. Sorry, I had to put, throw it out there right there for a second, but this was fantastic. I, this is my favorite match of all time. Loved it, too. I mean, hopped up even more. I'll say this was the match of the night, and this should have been the main event to a certain extent. But Vinny, go ahead. Yeah, no, I, not I, the main I, event. I, I want to say, I take that back. I'm sorry. Yeah. Now, this match is considered by many to be the greatest WrestleMania match of all time. Would I say that? No. I will say this, though. This was better than the one they would have the next year. Everybody tries to say the 26th match was better. No, it wasn't. Fucking ass. No, it's not. Not even close. This was better. This was way better. Now, HBK comes down from the top of the set wearing all white like he's coming down from heaven. The Undertaker, of course, comes up through the stage wearing all black like he's rising up from hell. I love those entrances right there. Because first of all, The Undertaker in his promo leading up to this said, it's hell trying to get to heaven. And also it works because The Undertaker was known as the Lord of Hell. You know, when I go to the when I go to the gates of hell, the devil still addresses me as sir. Like I am the the, the, the source of all evil. HBK around this time, as we know, was a born-again Christian. Still is. So this makes sense to him because Shawn Michaels found God, became a born-again Christian. That's how he was able to turn his life around and get off the pills and the alcohol and stop being the, the, the abominable prick that everybody knows him to be or knew him to be during that time. Hell, if you watch if you watch Dark Side of the Ring, you find out how much of a prick he was. Because they talk more about it in there because a lot of people had bad experiences with Shawn Michaels. Now, granted, Shawn Michaels is a different person today. I've met Shawn. I, he's great. I have all the respect in the world for Shawn Michaels. But overall, the entrances set the tone for the match. Now, Taker tried an Irish whip, but HBK trapped his arm in the rope and flipped him into a corner. Clever block right there. I thought that was very clever and very well done. That's a great way to block that move. 
Because I've never seen anybody try to block that before. Taker does a gorilla press slam. Taker works the arm and does the old school. Again, it's like I said on Twitter to the retarded Marks. This is why it works. He twists the arm before he goes up there to have wrist control so you can't counter as easily. He takes two steps on the ropes and then jumps off. So he doesn't give the opponent enough time to counter the fucking move. You fucking retarded Marks. And this is the people, I'm mostly talking to people on Twitter that try to come at me and act like I was crazy for the shit that I'm fucking saying when the shit I'm fucking saying is accurate and believable. Now, Taker eventually punches himself free from HBK as an inverted figure four and HBK drop kicks the knee. Awesome psychology right here. Because again, when you lock some, he works the knee and then chop blocks, does an inverted figure four and then drop kicks the knee again. Because that's what you do. You ha if, if Taker has a knee that's injured or tweaking a little bit, you go after the knee. So you can lock in another figure four because if you weaken the knee enough, you can lock it in and get a tap out. So that's why that psychology works. Now, Taker sends HBK into the corner but still limps to sell the knee injury as well as slaps his leg to get circulation back. It was great selling. So Taker's selling it, which is key. Yeah, I hit this big move, but I'm reminding people my knee hurts like a motherfucker. And props to JR for pointing out the circulation. He's sitting there slapping his knee and JR mentions, you know, you slap the knee to get the, the, knee to get the circulation back into it so he can get his knee working again. So by JR saying that, he's educating the audience at home. Now, the fans in the stands may not know why he's doing that because you can't hear the commentators when you're in the crowd. You only hear the commentators if you're watching on pay-per-view. So the audience at home, which at this time was us, because um, we weren't at we did we hadn't met yet, so it wasn't at Hooters. So we were sitting at home watching this, or maybe Zach was at Hooters. I don't fucking know. Zach, were you at Hooters watching this WrestleMania? No. Okay. So so the audience watching at home, they're trying to they're they're, they're trying to figure out what's going. We're, we understand what's going on because Jr. is pointing it out to us again. That's another commentator's job to help tell the story and filling gaps and blocks. Taker hits the snake eyes, big boot, and a leg drop. Easy there, Hogan. Ah, uh -uh. we don't do big boot leg drop pinballs here. Easy there. That's nope. that's Hogan's deal there, brother. Yep. It's like, watch it, brother. Watch it, brother. I don't go out there doing tombstones. HBK counters a chokeslam with a cross face. That looked awkward. I would have liked it better if HBK counted it in midair. But it just, if it counted it in midair, it would have been better. But no, that just looked, it looked awkward and sloppy and that was not a good spot. That could have been executed better. HBK rolls out of a pin attempt but keeps the hold. I hate that no one else ever did that when in that situation. Like, like whenever somebody locks in a cross face, they go for the cover. He kicks out but still holds on to it. Everybody else just breaks the submission. So I like that. It's like if you don't, if you're still able to hold on to it, fucking hold on to that shit, man. Don't don't break away unless you have to. Now HBK goes up for an elbow, but Taker sits up and catches him for a choke slam. But HBK fights out, goes for sweet chin music, but Taker wisely drops down to avoid it. Love that. Susie went for it. What did Taker do? Sat on his ass immediately. He dropped to the ground to avoid the sweet chin music. Because he knew if he kicked him, it could have knocked him out. That's another thing you gotta do is try to avoid shit so you don't get hit with a move. Like there's a guy who'll lock in a DDT, a guy will drop to his ass so you don't drop him on his head. Like you just avoid a bullet out of a gun. Now, when Taker did that, you think the crowd was able to understand what he was doing? Maybe. Yeah, they were. HBK goes for the figure four, but Taker counters with Hell's Gate, but HBK makes the ropes and rolls out of the ring. Great exchange. Now see, there are actual rope breaks in this match, so this actually fucking works. You're able to lock, they're able to exchange, avoid, lock shit in. Now, Taker goes for a leg job on the apron, but HBK moves out of the way and hits a baseball slide on Taker as he's trying to get into the ring. It worked perfectly because Taker didn't notice it coming because he's sitting there focusing on his leg that hurts because he hit the ring apron, which is the hardest part of the ring. And then all of a sudden, by the time he realized what's going on, boom, baseball slide, he's out the ring. HBK went for a moonsault, lost his balance temporarily, but when he went for it, Taker sidestepped and swatted it out of the way. Finally, someone not waiting to catch somebody. It's about fucking time. See, this is the type of shit I like. You know, 
he went for it, but he's like lost his balance, tried to regain his balance. Oh, oh shit, what am I gonna do? Flip. Now in modern wrestling, a lot of these, a lot of these, these jack offs in the business today, they would have been like, oh, don't worry, I'll, I'll wait for you to catch your balance and then land on top of me, cause I know you're my opponent, I'm supposed to hate you, but I still have to protect you, and the crowd has to know I'm protecting you, cause we already know it's all fake anyway. Fucking assholes. This is shit that makes me angry. I love that. Taker's like, no, fuck you. Shoe fly, don't bother me. That's exactly what the fuck happened there. Beautiful. Taker sits up in the ring and goes for a dive, but HBK pulls the cameraman in front of him. Another believable spot because HBK saw it and protected himself, and the cameraman didn't expect to have that happen. I will also say this. In, in the long term, not a smart move. Taker could have snapped his fucking neck there or got a serious fucking concussion. Now, thankfully, that didn't happen, but that was still a very sloppy spot that could have seriously killed somebody. HBK helps up the referee and gets him back in the ring and begs for him to start counting. Taker beats the count at nine. The most anxiety-driven countout of all time. I'm going to say this right now. Out of all the times where, where it looked like someone was going to get counted out, this is probably the most anxiety-driven. Because Sean just wants the WrestleMania win. He don't care how he gets it. So if, if Taker gets counted out, the streak is over. And at the time, ladies and gentlemen, the streak was very much intact at this time. It was. It would be another four or five years before that streak would, would inevitably be, be broken. So at the time, it was still very strong. So we're sitting there going, oh shit, Sean's going to do it. And then finally, Taker gets in the ring. You're like, oh Jesus Christ. Yeah. Your heart skipped a bunch of fucking beats, ladies and gentlemen. HBK goes for sweet chin music, but Taker dodges and hits a chokeslam for a two count. Another epic false finish. It was epic. Fucking great. HBK hits a sudden sweet chin music for a two count. And then there's another. Holy shit. Taker goes for the last ride, but HBK goes for a sunset flip, but Taker picks him back up, hits the last ride for a two count. Three epic false finishes in a goddamn row. <laughs> now again, I know I give a lot of shit for too many false finishes, but this is where this is where more multiple false finishes can work in a match because there's a lot riding on the match. Taker tries to throw HBK over the top rope. He skins the cat. Taker hits a tombstone pile driver, but HBK kicks out. Fourth epic false finish. Remember the look on Undertaker's face when that happened? You're like, what the fuck? Fucking priceless. That's that. Jesus Christ, what the fuck am I gonna do? How do I put this some bitch away? So that's four in a row of epic false finishes where you were convinced the match was over because that's the secret to a false finish. You have to believe it's the finish. That's what makes it false. So this is insane. Taker picks him up for another tombstone, but HBK counters into a DDT. Never seen that type of counter before, and I thought it was brilliant. Loved it. HBK hits a flying elbow, then goes into the corner to pull himself up and tune up the band. He hits Sweet Chin Music for a two count. Epic false finish number five. So here we go. Shit's getting real. They use each other to pull themselves up, and then they exchange blows. Taker's chest is red from all the chops. Yeah, so, so these guys are fucking killing each other right now. They're spent. They're exhausted. They are. It, it is edge of your seat craziness. And then HBK goes for a moonsault. Taker catches him. Hit the tombstone. Apologize for the win. I'm sorry. That was a stupid finish. That was a stupid fucking finish. It was dumb. Why did HBK need to go for a moonsault? See, I never understood why you go for a moonsault when someone's standing straight up. I can understand if someone's getting up and then you hit a moonsault. But no, the moonsault should only be used if a person's lying down on the ground. You don't need to be doing moonsaults to an opponent that's standing up. Especially when Taker's clearly right there to catch him. Sean knew he was standing up before he climbed up there. So it's not like he was, he was, Undertaker was laying on the ground. Sean climbed up. Taker sat up, walked over, and by the time Sean flipped, he realized it was too late. That would have been believable. But Taker was already standing straight up when he climbed to the top rope. So why the fuck would you do the move? So that's what makes me angry. This is a great match with a retarded finish. That crap, a whole fucking thing. But again, this is an example of people just doing moves just to do them. Just to 
get the rise out of people. You, when you're doing a move, you're supposed to sell the move like you're using it to beat the other person, not using it to transition into another high spot. Because then you make everything look fake. So that finish was dumb and unnecessary. Aside from that, though, the rest of the match was great for the most part. So it it, it is one of the greatest WrestleMania matches of all time. It's the best out of the two that Undertaker and Shawn had at Mania. But it was still not without flaws. Every match has flaws. Not all of them. Not there's, all of them. There's a few that are perfect, but this one was not perfect. It was great, but not perfect. Not perfect. And on that note, we move on to the next match of the evening for the World Heavyweight Championship. Edge, with Vicky Guerrero and Chavo Guerrero in his corner, defends the title against The Big Show and John Cena. Do you enjoy this? To a degree. I mean, it was really, it wasn't that hyped up because once I don't, Vinny and I do not like triple threat matches for championship belts for WrestleMania because there's no disqualifications, no countouts, and on the happy horse This match was right here. It was okay. I won't call it Phil because it was building up because Big Show, uh, Vicky Guerrero, quote, quote, she did on edge with uh, Big Show, even though it didn't happen in real life. Now I know how Phil's edge. Anyways. I mean, okay. I mean, it was just there. I want to say it's a feel like I said before, but it was way to calm down the crowd after the Undertaker Shawn Michaels match. But but what I liked is when um Shawn Ma- um, da, 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 da. John Cena used the attitude adjustment and picked up both Big Show and Edge. Edge got down, then Big Show got a- uh, attitude adjustment by John Cena. Then Edge got the same thing happened to Edge. One, two, three, and the new World Heavyweight Champion at that time, John Cena. Take it away, Vinny. This match right here, Cena has again. This is. Back when John had epic WrestleMania entrances, they were doing a lot to to give him his great entrances. Um, he had a bunch of Cena clones come out to basic thugonomics. Then they play "My Time Is Now" and the real Cena comes out while the clones do the "You Can't See Me" with their hands. So do there as and John comes running out. So it's a great entrance. I love that. Now Show starts manhandling Cena in this match. Obviously, there's a lot of great you know moments in the beginning. Like Cena starts fighting both guys. Show hits Edge with a clothesline by accident. Cena hits. It's a bulldog on Edge. Cena goes for a shoulder block on Show and he swats him away. I thought that was great. Show picks up Edge and crotches him on the ropes and chops him in the corner. Show throws Edge into Cena, who's about to hit the A until Show hits a big boot on Cena. Edge rolls out of the ring and Show beats down Cena and stands on his wrist. So Show is now manhandling Cena, and I'm glad to see Show looking strong for once because a lot of times when I see Big Show in matches, especially in the latter years of his career, they don't really make him look strong anymore, which in my opinion kills his gimmick. Big Show has to look strong strong so that when he inevitably does lose the match, assuming he's jobbing, the other guy looks good. But if Big Show is constantly getting beat up or thrown around or whatever, he loses his value and it's not as convincing. So I like seeing Big Show looking actually strong in this match as well he should because he's in a world heavyweight title match. So Big Show should look like a badass in this match. Also, it's a world heavyweight title match. This is not filler at all. And also Edge drop kicks the ring steps into Show's knees, allowing Cena to hit a leg drop off the top rope. Side Psychology. That's what that was. Because that way, Big Show's not sitting there like a jackass waiting for Cena to come off the top rope. Because he's got hit in the knees. So he's like, ah, my knees, my knees. Uh, I'm in pain, I'm in pain. Wait, oh, leg drop. So it's a great way to set Big Show up for the move. And it's a good sequence on how to get three men to work a spot without looking stupid. Cena goes with shoulder tackle, but Chavo pulls him out of the ring. Cena hits him with the attitude adjustment. So he takes out Chavo. Cena then gets back in the ring, hits a shoulder block on Show, who gets tied in the ropes. The vintage Andre spot. Because, like, 
don't know, that was one of Andre's favorite spots whenever he would work matches is where he would get clothesline, fall backwards, and get tied up in the ropes. Because back then, that was how you got Andre to sell and get beat down on in matches. Because usually Andre, because of his size and strength and believability, you didn't really overpower or beat the shit out of Andre. It didn't happen. So tying him up in the ropes allowed you to have that moment. So Cena hits the five moves of Doom on Edge while Show is watching. Cena goes for the AA, but Vicky distracts and Cena confronts her. Edge goes for a spear and accidentally hits Vicky. Chavo clearly protected her on that one. Show finally breaks free and starts attacking Edge and Cena. Great believability with the moves and use of weight and in the match. So I love that. Show goes for a double choke slam, but only gets Edge. Cena goes for the AA, but Show fights out, hit the WMD. Love that Cena rolled out of the ring. So that way we don't have to worry about Cena having to kick out or get a rope break, which I don't even know if rope breaks are in triple threat matches. They're not. Which is weird because they're in Extreme Rules matches, apparently. Apparently. Wow. That's not right at all, no, is it? None of that shit makes sense. But so after that goes down, so I love that Cena rolled out of the ring because it allows him a chance to sell the move without having to lose. Edge tries to drag Show into the ring and realizes he can't, so he drags Cena into the ring. Stupid spot makes Edge look like a retard. Maybe that's what the R really stands for. That was stupid. Why? If you, if you got both men out of the ring, why would you lift the heaviest guy? You grab fucking Cena. Grab the lighter fucking wrestler. If they're unconscious, you fucking retard. That was such a stupid spot. Cena counters the spear with the STFU. Great counter. And by the way, I will never call it STF when Cena uses it. I don't care how politically correct or PG WWE wants to fucking be. It's the STFU. Always the STFU. An FU to anybody who won't call it the STFU. Big Show breaks the hole by grabbing Cena by the throat, pulling him out of the ring and hitting a headbutt. Great way to break the hole. I have never seen the hole broken up like that before and it's fucking great. Love that spot. Show goes for some type of show bomb off the middle rope. That was fucking stupid. Why are you trying to be Vader? Why are you trying to be Jack Swagger? I never. I didn't like when every time he tried to do that type of bomb thing. It's like, no, show, you can't do that. It's not that he can't do it. Obviously, he can do it. He shouldn't. Again, this is an example of big men doing spots they shouldn't be fucking doing. Why? It's retarded. It was stupid. It should have never been done. Cena at one point hits a blockbuster. More than five moves being done here, aren't they, Zach? I'm just saying, I'm, I'm seeing more than five moves from John Cena in this match, if I'm not mistaken. I mean, I don't know. Do you, you see more than five moves? Because I see more than five moves. I mean, I'm just saying. Because I played the fifth. Ironically. Yeah. This, I'm just saying, because you got to understand something. Zach and I have been friends for a long time. We, we've had we had this debate for many years back when he was not controlling his drinking. It was a bit of a belligerent jack-off. And he would always get mad about Cena. And I'm like, ah, more than five moves being done here. Because I would say shit like that in matches back when Zach hated Cena. He obviously, that hate has changed now. He's a different person now. He's seen the light. Um, But just fucking, I love that. And of course, you know, the finish was phenomenal. Edge locking in the sleeper hold. Show forcing him into the corner to try to break it. As Zach said, they lift both men on the shoulders. Edge drops off. Cena hits the A on Show. Hits the A on Edge on top of Show. Edge rolls out of the ring and Cena pins the big show to win the title. Here's why this finish was awesome. Cena got the belt. Edge was not involved in the decision. So it gives Edge a reason to want a rematch against John down the road. And Big Show is taken out of the equation. As well he should be. Because Big Show doesn't need to be in the equation at all. So that was an awesome finish. It, it showcased a great WrestleMania moment with John Cena lifting damn near 750 pounds on his goddamn fucking shoulders. Why? Because when it comes to weightlifting, John Cena is a fucking freak of nature. He is. Now granted, his weight training's a lot different now as he's gotten older because he's in his early to mid 40s now. So he doesn't lift or go as crazy as he used to. But back then he used to train like an animal and he could lift crazy shit like that. And he had the great, you know, athletic ability, natural bodybuilding and, and a great feat of strength and loved to show it off. And in this match, he definitely did. So very well done.
right now. This match was 14 minutes and 33 seconds. The Undertaker Shawn Michaels match was 30 minutes and 44 seconds. The longest match of the night. And I believe we mentioned the Matt and Jeff time was 13:38. We did. Okay, couldn't so remember. Far of all the matches that were on this card, and I we missed the time. Okay, just want to make sure. I didn't know if we caught up, covered them all, but we did. With that said, we can now move on to the main event of the evening for the WWE Championship. Triple H defends the title against Randy Orton. Loved it. They get it right because Randy Orton in 2009 won the Royal Rumble and he's now the main eventer at WrestleMania. I bet Vinny was happy about this, weren't you not? Yes, because up until this point, it, that hadn't been happening. 06, 07, 08. Because 06 is when they stopped making the WrestleMania winner the main event and that was pissing me off. So when Randy finally got it, I went, thank God justice prevailed. But continue. Yeah, but this right here, this you could tell this match was building up for how long? Months? Years? Years. I mean, like, you gotta realize that, yeah, but when Randy Orton's that top of hill, he's really good at it. He arc he DT Stephanie when Triple H was handcuffed, sealed it with a kiss, couldn't like he had his two little cronies with them. Uh uh Cody and um Ted Biasi. By the way, then this match was great, but it but during the match, if Triple H would have been counted out as qualified, he would have lost would have lost the title to Randy Orton. Rightfully so, and he will explain that later. But this right here was great. Closing match of the night. These two gentlemen beat the living shit out of each other. You know what's funny with uh, Randy Orton's facial expressions? What? He looks drunk. <laughs> he looks like he just drunk a shitload of, be- of booze. I shit you not. Well, he- this means he's selling it, but when he got punted into the head at, at, on, the, uh, on the bottom rope trying to get back into the ring, he was like, no. Yeah. Like I was, I was like, overselling just a little bit, but this right here was fantastic. I mean, what I liked about it was was a funny thing, though. First, Randy, uh, Randy Orton hit the arcade, boom. Second slate of Triple H hit him with the pedigree, so two false finishes in less than 30, se- 30 seconds apart to a minute. But this right here w- was great. This is a uh, second match of the night. My favorite was, of course, The Undertaker and Shawn Michaels match. But otherwise than this, I loved every minute of it. This was edgy sheet like Taker and Shawn Michaels. But all in all, a great match. And in the end, Triple H won. And eh, I would have been happy if Randy Orton would have won anyways. All right. Take it away, Dave Vinny. This match was 24 minutes and 35 seconds. The second longest match of the night. And here's the thing. The fact that Triple H was going to be, if Triple H was DQ or count out, he lost the title. It was perfect because with all the buildup that happened, as Zach mentioned, you know, from taking out Vince, taking out Shane, taking out Stephanie, because by this point, they've now established that in real life, Triple H and Stephanie are married. Now, obviously, they had the kayfabe marriage back in 2000, and then right around WrestleMania 18, they had the, the breakup, the divorce of Triple H and Stephanie on camera. But most people who follow the dirt sheets and everything, they knew in real life, Triple H and Stephanie got married outside the ring. So now they're bringing that real life marriage, the shoot marriage, into this by doing this. So that they established that to, to tell this story. Now with everything that went down, the only way this could be a wrestling match would be to have this stipulation. Because you can't have a, a, a violent buildup like this and go out there and do tackle, drop down, leapfrog, hip toss. You can't do that. You have to have a fucking fight. It would either have to be a hardcore, a no-holds-barred match, or it has to be a violent squash match. So by having the DQ or counted out option, it forces Triple H to contain his anger, control his emotions, and go out there and have a match because if I lose my cool, if I beat the shit out of him, yeah, I'll get that satisfaction of whooping his ass, but Randy walks away with my title. And if there's one thing we know about Triple H, if there's one thing Triple H loves more than his family, it's the WWE Championship. If there's the, his 
if there's one thing he loves more than his family, it's that goddamn title. And I can't, and he can't let Randy walk away with it because that was his goal. So now Triple H has to keep the emotions in check. That's what makes this great. And of course, this was the main event with the Royal Rumble winner facing the, the world champion. Also, the challenger came out first. Again, that's what the fuck you should do. It's for goddamn ridiculous when you don't. A lot of dumb shit. So Triple H takes him down and starts punching rather than lock up. Another great thing here. Instead of the starting off with a caught with a standard collar elbow tie up, Triple H just goes and wails on him. He's punching, he's stomping him in the corner, he's beating the shit out of him. Scott Armstrong finally pulls him off and reminds him he'll be forced to disqualify him if he doesn't listen. Great storytelling from the ref. So the ref is showing great storytelling. He's saying, hey, 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 Hunter, look. Because the referee is being understanding the situation. That's why he's giving him a warning. He's like, look, I know you want to kill this man, but remember, if I, I may be forced to, if you don't do what I tell you, I'll be forced to disqualify you. I don't want to disqualify you, but I will if I have to, because that's my job. And then Triple H is kind of in agreement, like, I understand. That's your job. I'll calm down. Horton hits, Orton hits an RKO, goes right for the punt, but misses. Holy shit. In that moment, you're thinking, oh, this match could end right here. Triple H hits the pedigree, but Orton rolls out, rolls out of the ring, and Triple H is fatigued by the RKO. Great selling. So he rolls out, so that way he can't worry about getting covered, and Triple H is still tired, he just got hit with an RKO still, so he's not in a rush to crawl over to him. So they're both, by doing this, they're both selling their finishes. They are selling each other's finishers by saying, hey, this took a lot out of me. Triple H almost hits Orton with a TV monitor, but the ref talks him out of it. More great storytelling. And that's what you need in a main event match. Every other match tonight has done, because by this point, you've seen a lot of violent shit in WrestleMania thus far. So the main event doesn't need to worry about high spots and violent shit. Tell your story. The psychology and the storytelling plays a more vital role here. Like Triple H grabs that TV monitor. I'm going to beat your fucking brains out. No, 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 Hunter. You can't do this. I will disqualify you if you do and you lose the title. And he's like, ah, fuck my life. And drops the TV monitor. Orton does the draping DDT off the Spanish announce table and the ref begins to count. Another epic count out that almost happened. So this is the only other one other than the Michaels taker match. Because here, it's more epic because if Triple H gets counted out, Orton wins the title. Otherwise, because if Triple H getting counted, if Triple H gets counted out, that's not a big deal. Because usually if the champ gets counted out, he doesn't lose the title. But because that count out stipulation is there, the crowd's now like, oh shit, oh shit, oh shit, oh shit. But Triple H makes it back in the ring. Orton throws Triple H into the referee in the corner and then hits an RKO on Triple H. Orton then grabs a sledgehammer, but as Orton gets in the ring, Triple H hits a punt kick. Great moment right there. Now, the reason this is a great moment is because, like we said, in the build-up to this show, Orton's been punt kicking the McMahons. Shane, Vince, maybe even Triple H, I think one time on, on Raw might have got a punt kick leading up to everything. I can't remember. But, so Triple H hitting it. Holy shit. Triple H then clocks in with the sledgehammer. The ref is down, so he doesn't see it. So now that's the storytelling aspect right there. I can't I can't get disqualified or counted out, but if there's no referee, I can't get disqualified or counted out. Until the ref gets up, this is mine. Bam! Which is what you would do in the video games when the ref's knocked out. Let me grab that fucking weapon. Boom! So he's clocking him. Triple H then throws the sledgehammer out of the ring and just wails on Orton. Now this is smart for two reasons. One, he's disposing of the evidence, but also there's no point in going for the cover while the ref is knocked out. How many times have we seen people hit moves, go for a cover, and they're like, but there's no referee. It's like, you know the ref is knocked out. Too many times to count. I'm just saying, why would you go for the cover when you know the referee is still unconscious? It's stupid. Stupid, 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 stupid. So Triple H is just bam, 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 motherfucker, I'm gonna beat your ass. The ref finally comes to and stops Hunter from beating down Orton. So he stops him because now, you know, hey, let's do this. So he picks up Orton, drops the pedigree. One, two, three, Triple H retains the championship, which for a long time was a rarity at WrestleMania. 
it was rare to see the champion retain the title. It was. Because most of the time when someone won the Royal Rumble, that meant they were going to win the title. Now, in modern wrestling, you see the champion retain at WrestleMania a lot. A lot. Unfortunately, at this past WrestleMania, we saw the champ retain the title. But um, back then, at this time in 2009, you didn't see it often. No, you didn't. You usually saw the title change hands. And that's what got people excited for like the Royal Rumble victories because you're like, oh, this could be the next champion because they usually use WrestleMania as a way to crown the next champion or the next star in a way. Like WrestleMania 14, for example, when Shawn dropped the title to Austin. The plan for that was that was where they were going to debut Stone Cold Steve Austin as the man. And that's when Austin officially became the top guy in WWE. He was working his way up there, but it wasn't until WrestleMania 14 that he was officially anointed the number one guy in the company. So that's usually what WrestleMania was designed for. They chose not to do that on this particular night. Mm. So Triple H would hold the title for a few more months before he finally dropped it. But of course, during this time, not a lot of people were happy to see Triple H with the championship because he had held it so many times and for so many years. And, and by years, I mean like he'll hold, he would lose the title and two months later he went it back. So even though he didn't hold it for a full year, it felt like a fucking year. So a lot of times it was just for goddamn ridiculous. So seeing Triple H as the champion was not very exciting during this time, especially when he had the reputation of being a backstage politician. But despite that, still a great main event. And I don't care what anybody said, it followed Taker and Michaels, I think. You know, like I said, a lot of people felt like this match went flat. I didn't feel like it was flat at all. It was flat. I don't know why anybody said it was flat. It wasn't. It, it wasn't flat at all. They were able to follow Taker and Michaels. Yeah. Yeah, they were. And like I said, it was Randy Orton won the Royal Rumble. Triple H is the champion. This should be the main event of Mania. Should be. Should be. Hands down. And um, that, ladies and gentlemen, will conclude the uh, review of WrestleMania 25. Uh, Zach, I hope you uh, had some fun here. Thanks for taking time. Everybody's going to join us and uh, have a happy birthday. And we'll uh, see you for NXT. Yep. See you for NXT. All right. Make sure you guys uh, follow the Booch cast. Uh, we are on Anchor. Anchor. Spotify. Spotify. Google Podcast. Google Podcast. And iHeartRadio. And iHeartRadio. Pick your favorite hosting site and follow us there or be a super fan and follow us on all four hosting sites. Also, like us on Facebook. Go to Facebook.com slash TheBoochCast. We have archived episodes of the show as well as great content. Uh, make sure you guys check out the uh, male soap opera moments, see our predictions for a WWE SummerSlam, and of course, be on the lookout for a recap of WWE SummerSlam coming soon to the Boochcast Facebook page. Also, make sure you follow us on Twitter and Instagram at the Boochcast. Get the latest tweets, photos, and videos. Visit our YouTube channel. Check out all of our YouTube content and be sure to hit the subscribe button and ring that bell to be notified when future content will be posted. Also, make sure you follow us on Twitch. Go to twitch.tv slash the Boochcast. That's where we do our live wrestling watch parties. Our next watch party will be Saturday, November the 25th for the WWE Survivor Series. Now, obviously, uh, certain members of the team will be getting together for Survivor Series. Unfortunately, Zach and I will not be able to attend the Survivor Series watch party. He'll be off washing dishes, and I will be at WrestleCade with Buff Bagwell. So make sure you come see me and Buff in Winston-Salem, uh, North Carolina, if you want to come see us. Uh, we'll be there along with other big names, legends, and stars from the past and the present. We'll be there. 
uh, signing autographs, taking pictures, hanging out with fans. So make sure you join us there. Uh, but make sure at night you go to the uh, twitch.tv slash theboochcast. I'm going to get some of the team members together to see if they can do a Survivor Series watch party. Uh, we're going to try and get them to do it. I'm hoping they will be able to get their heads out of their asses and be able to do it. If they can, great. If not, I apologize in advance. But uh, we also have our live D&D show coming soon, our Boochcast booking battle, and another special project in the works. You can also support the Boochcast by going to podcasters.spotify.com slash pod slash show slash the Boochcast slash support. Become a supporter of the Boochcast. Support this podcast with a small monthly donation to help sustain future episodes. We have three levels you can donate at. Pick the one that works the best within your budget. We have our first level, which is 99 cents, $1 per month. We have our second level, which is $4.99, $5 per month. Same amount of money you would pay for a Peacock subscription. I know a lot of you guys out there aren't fans of the Peacock, so don't give them money. Give us money. We got better content than Peacock anyway. And we got the third and final level you can donate at, which is for a mere $9.99. $10 per month. The same amount of money we used to pay for a WWE Network subscription here in the United States. Ever since they sold it to Peacock, you got to know where to put that $9.99. To hit $9.99, bring it over here. We got better content than Network, and unlike Endeavor, we actually care about our fans are dedicated to giving the people what they want. You have the option of paying your credit card or with GPay. And the best part is, all the money we raise goes back into the show in some capacity. We used to upgrade our equipment, we used to bring in bigger name guests, pay the bills, and take care of all the guys who work very hard on the air and off the air to make the Boochcast a success. So if you got a favorite co-host and Blizzard to be paid for their hard work, podcasters.spotify.com slash pod slash show slash the Boochcast slash support is how you make that happen. And then, if there's any money left over, when it's all said and done, we use the rest to feed Zachariah Scott his ramen noodles and try to get him laid. The keyword is try. We try and try and try and try, but none seems to happen. And until next time, this is Vinny Bucci, a.k.a. The Booch, saying keep on living life and take care. This has been The Booch Cast. Talk to you guys next time. Until then, pizza, baby! Well, I see by the clock on a wall that it's time to bid you one and all goodbye. Goodbye. So long. So long. Farewell. Farewell. Adieu. Adieu. Be good. Stay well. Bye-bye. Keep warm. Relax. And eat. Take care. Stay loose. Adieu, mon vieux. À la prochaine. Goodbye till when we meet again.